Welcome to Pocketful of Grace, a weekly podcast of Grace Lutheran Church here in State College, Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Scott Schul, and I'm here with Pastor Carolyn Hetrick. This week is the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, September 25th, 2022. In these later weeks in the season of growth, which the color green in the sanctuary represents, Jesus deepens what growth means, including some challenging and even pruning lessons from Jesus. And he asks us to consider what it means to face the tensions of all-in discipleship. Pastor Hedrick, let's ground our time in the prayer of the day for this coming Sunday. Friends, pray with me. O God, rich in mercy, you look with compassion on this troubled world. Feed us with your grace and grant us the treasure that comes only from you. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. I got to say that I'm really glad to hear that God is rich in mercy because I know I'm going to try to follow Jesus, but I know I'm not going to always get it right. You and me both. Yeah, the term that uh, really jumped out at me in the prayer this week is compassion, Mm -hmm. which comes from the Latin word compati, which means to suffer with. And it reminds us that our Jesus is indeed going to challenge us and ask us to be all in. But in all of our ups and downs of that, uh, Jesus is not a distant spectator. He jumps into the muck and mire of daily life right beside us, always with us. I think it's really sort of miraculous when we think about what you just shared about joining in suffering. And I, I think that even though it's hard for us to see sometimes, it's easy, easy for us to grasp that Jesus is going to join us in our suffering. The challenge, of course, in following Jesus is that we imitate what Jesus does. Right. And I haven't met very many people who say, I really want to join with somebody else in their suffering. Mm-hmm. It is a, a real challenge for us to imagine moving beyond the social niceties and, and cognitive dissonance is an expression that means that someone has shared or is demonstrating something that is hard for us to take in. That's what suffering is. Yeah. And our natural tendency is to immediately want to normalize something or make it better. Right. And that's one of the challenges that we face is being with people in their moments of suffering and consolation without trying to tell them that it's really just okay before they may feel that it is that way and to stay by their side until they can feel that way. There's a brutal and yet comforting honesty in the gospel regarding suffering. Uh, And that is that it happens. It's part of life. It's not something that we can avoid, no matter how much we naturally might want to. And Jesus makes some sort of supernatural use of it. And and that begins with merely acknowledging it. It's not a mark of our failure or a mark of our lack of faithfulness. It's merely a mark of our humanity. And Jesus shares even that with us. And as we prepare to move into our other readings, you know, one of the things that uh, we as humans have a capacity to do is that we find ways to blunt or to blur uh, our vision when it comes to seeing the, the needs and the suffering of others and to instead decide that the best thing we can do is to super comfort ourselves mm-hmm. and surround ourselves with things that uh, sort of um, insulate us, if you will, from the world around us to find other ways of distracting ourselves. 
And so with that in mind, I'm wondering if you can uh, drop us into Amos. Yeah, let's get into some suffering here. It's like the lobster into the pot, friends. (laughs) The prophet Amos chapter 6. Alas, for those who are at ease in Zion, and for those who feel secure on Mount Samaria, alas, for those who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and, like David, improvise on instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the revelry of the loungers shall pass away. Hmm. Well, friends, if you listened last week or were in worship on Sunday, Uh, We are taking sort of a dive into the pond of the prophet Amos, who has a lot of words to say to people about how they've lost their way. And so, Pastor Shul, what are you uh, seeing here in this reading? Amos isn't mincing any words. No, and for a people who are living a life of luxury and a life of me first, he's telling them, okay, you get to be first. You'll be the ones first sent into exile. And unlike many prophets, uh, when you look at the last verse here, verse 7, it doesn't say, you've you've exploited people, now here's your chance to repent and and to walk that back. He says, no, you're going to be the first to go into exile. This isn't a call for repentance, just a notice of what's coming next, and it's not pleasant. Well, that's one of the things about prophets uh, in the Old Testament I remember hearing this from uh, one of our Old Testament professors that by the time the prophet shows up, it's too late, Mm -hmm. um, at least in that season. And and what that means is this is not repent or this is you have ignored all of the other calls to turn around. And so instead, you will experience firsthand the consequences of your own actions for a time. And the, the challenge, of course, here is to say, well, this is just an example of angry, vengeful God, whereas, in fact, people have had a long road, um, who the prophet is speaking to, they've had a long road of turning their backs on God's commandments to care for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, and to treat worship of God as grounding and centering. Remember that you were the people that were brought out of Exodus. Well, they've forgotten. We tend to look for simple categories in life. And one of those categories that we hear a lot about now is something called the prosperity gospel. It's a distortion of the gospel that holds that wealth is a marker of righteousness and an indication of one's good standing before God. And of course, that's wrong. On the other hand, wealth is not always an indicator of sin either, either. Just because you have money doesn't mean you're a bad person. Instead, what's happening here is God's critique, not only of the way that the wealth was acquired, but the way it is being used. It's it's much more subtle analysis than merely saying wealth is either always good or always bad. And I think in our context, in our time, um, not only regarding the prosperity gospel, because many people, frankly, have moved beyond that because gospel no longer is a word that has meaning for them. But we see um, oftentimes in in the leaders in various countries, including our own, 
where people are clamoring for the hope to be like someone who they believe is successful and that that's going to somehow bring them along in the ride. And at times, they're not only forgetting those who are suffering, they're forgetting their own suffering. Mm-hmm. And they will be disappointed, which is one of the things that I want to lift up about the prophets. When the people go into exile, it's not only the people who are the worst actors who go into exile. All of the people are taken down into something together because God sees us as involved in something that is collective. Yeah. And that really is something to lament. Um, for everyone who is the lounger who has been reveling, there are others who are going to simply be coming along for the ride. And one of the things that Amos is lifting up and what we'll hear in Psalm 146 is putting our, our trust and our hope in the wrong place. There's a remarkable contrast here between the self-indulgence of the people who are being critiqued in Amos and the way that Jesus lived his life. We get a clue of that in the prayer of the day, that word compassion again. Of uh, here, Here's a man who is literally human and God, who had the opportunity, at least in theory, to exploit that in all sorts of self-beneficial ways, and who instead poured himself out, literally and metaphorically, uh, crawled on a cross for us, for us, of all people. I'd like us to sort of take that as we move into the psalm, uh, because when we get to the very last line of the psalm, it's going to... I think really pick up that echo. And last week, was it last week? I think you mentioned that the psalm that we had last week was your favorite. 113. Yes. Well, today, friends, it just so happens that the lectionary is treating me to my favorite. Oh, nice. Psalm 146 is my very favorite of all the psalms. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in rulers. In mortals in whom there is no help. When they breathe their last, they return to earth. And in that day, their thoughts perish. Happy are they who have the God of Jacob for their help, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Who made heaven and earth, the seas and all that is in them, who keeps promises forever. Who gives justice to those who are oppressed and food to those who hunger. The Lord sets the captive free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord cares for the stranger. The Lord sustains the orphan and widow, but frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord shall reign forever, your God, O Zion, throughout all generations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, this psalm, I think, does a really good job of reminding us why we should praise God, who God is, what God has done, what God will do, and the eternity of God, that no matter what or who stands or falls, God is our God throughout all generations. Mm-hmm. You read those first four verses about how we put our trust in politicians and celebrities and ourselves. And then the rest of the psalm makes the case for putting our trust in God. And when you read it seriously, it it really does become kind of silly that we would trust anything or anyone else besides God. And and yet we do on a daily basis. 
There is a poem, I believe it is Ozymandias. Yeah, I love that, that poem. That talks about, you know, all of the, the, these great structures that were built to this mighty ruler that are all toppled and laying down on the ground. Yeah. And it reminds me of verse 4, you know, when these rulers or figures of authority breathe their last, they return to the earth, and in that day their thoughts perish. And I was thinking about that um, as I was watching um, Justin Welby preaching at the Queen's service, and he was talking about all of the people who earn great glory in their lives but whom we so quickly forget. And he's mm-hmm. preaching that in the midst of Westminster Cathedral, surrounded by vi- very visible examples of all of those whose deeds and day-to-day lives have been really forgotten, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, as opposed to um, someone who chooses a servant life uh, to, to lift up the things that we are hearing in Psalm 146 and to have that be the hallmark, um, not seeking greatness, but seeking to serve. Yeah. Yes, you, you you make me think of my time this past summer in cathedrals in in England and the many statues and tombs throughout. Uh, many of them have been defaced over the years, uh, faces chiseled away for one reason or another, and uh, those folks who were once so famous and so noteworthy are pretty much anonymous to us now. Uh, I hope uh, I hope we can cling close to God instead. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just share one more thought, which is uh, I was reading uh, a piece from Tish Harrison Warren, and she was talking about memory. And the title of her piece was, Our Memory is Flawed, But Luckily God's is Not. Mm. And to me, that really sums up at the end there, Psalm 146, that none of us are forgotten to God and when we hear that God is not just our God, but our Lord, mm-hmm. that God wants to lovingly hold us in care and call us into that arrangement that God knows is best for all of us. Um, that's the arrangement and the relationship of love that spans the, across time and, and into eternity um, that God has chosen and wants to be our God. Yeah, I, I like that notion of Lord. Again, think back to medieval times and how lords had a reciprocal arrangement with the people they they ruled over. Uh, there were different responsibilities that went back and forth. We know how <laughs> how worthless we are in bearing up our responsibilities, and yet our Lord, uh, our Lord God, continues uh, to be bound, self-bound to us, even though uh, we don't merit or, dis- or, or deserve it. And uh, that results in a Lord God that we can always trust. I guess the last thing I'll say as we move into 1 Timothy is that uh, one of the phrases that you hear me use once in a while as I talk about that we see the world as very transactional. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Right. If you don't do this for me or if you don't like what I like, you don't support what I support, all of those things that the modern term may be identity politics, although I don't really like that one. I prefer transactional because I think it's so much bigger than the small bucket of just making it be about particular rulers. God does not see the world as transactional. That's the way that we tend to see the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that means that when we're on the in crowd and we've done all the things we can do, we can be the ones who revel and lounge. And isn't that what we all hope for? Mm. And we fall into this trap of thinking that abundance, abundance is about 
ensuring that somebody is not in with us, that we can't somehow have abundant life unless someone is excluded because there somehow won't be enough. And that's not what God wants us to see. God wants us to remember that God's going to see, remember, and love and care for everybody. And that if we trust God to be our Lord, it really is possible, even though we're pretty sure that it's not. Hmm. Well, let's move into 1 Timothy before we go down that uh, path all day. Our second reading from 1 Timothy begins in chapter 6 at verse 6. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, it is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Wow. Boy, there's a lot of ground covered there. <laughs> Almost too much. <laughs> you know, I just yeah. wanted a sandwich and you brought me a loaf. <laughs> yeah. Bon appetit. <laughs> right? So, what's leaping out to you there? Really, it's it's about a, a life choice that extends throughout our life with all of its ebbs and flows. Um, we have so many different courses we can take. Um, you and I have said many times how much we both love the Psalms. And Psalm 1 is sort of the uh, example par excellence of that, of, of this two ways of life. And here in First Timothy, they're being laid out with um, with, with beautiful, beautiful specificity of what it is to live a godly life. And put aside all of the questions of salvation and who's going to heaven and how you get to heaven. That's already and, decided. Yeah, and exactly. And just rest in the possibility of having a little bit of heaven on earth by treating one another uh, in a more godly fashion by, as we read in verse 11, 
pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. You know, but here's the challenge. The challenge is when I go to the gym and they say, I want you to hold a plank for a minute, about 20 seconds in, mm-hmm. I'm tired of fighting the good fight. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I don't want to fight the good fight. I want to be done, <laughs> even though I know that it's better for me personally if I fight the fight, at least in terms of taking care of myself. And, right. and I say that because it's not just about any one of us, but yeah. by our very nature, persistence is not the number one trait that we as humans tend to carry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to, right? Right. It goes all the way back to Genesis 1. All these things you can eat, just stay away from this <laughs> tree over here. Well, since you mentioned it, now that's the only thing I can imagine is the, the thing you told me not to do. Yeah. I don't want to fight the good fight of being happy with this abundance over here. There's one thing over here that I'm missing out on. Yep. And I think that that's really part of what's behind First Timothy is we're always living in a world where we have fear of missing out. We're afraid that there's going to be some greater, better thing. And we have to be the first ones to get it and control it and co-opt it. And we forget what, who and what God has promised to give us. We don't want to fight the good fight. And that, to me, is the phrase that makes this passage hard. We want contentment to come easily. Sure. I, I'm a practitioner of centering prayer. It's a form of prayer where you sit very quietly and you try to make your mind blank. And of course, the moment you try to do that, your mind is filled with all sorts of things. The shopping list, uh, uh, the practitioners call it monkey mind, where your mind's just jumping around from one thing to the other. Uh, last evening, I was sitting on my front porch trying to take uh, some time to do this and to sit quietly and just sort of wait for God to come to me. And I had a sore neck and I started thinking about that. And then uh, the farmer across the road was moving the cows from from one uh, grazing pasture to the other and the cows weren't happy about it and they were mooing up a storm and I was getting worried about them. And I looked at my little timer and I said, oh, forget it. <laughs> Just, there's no way I'm gonna succeed at this today. So I, I accepted that defeat and said, well, I'm not gonna do this right. I'm not gonna be much of a prayer today, but if I can't do anything else, I'm at least going to be obedient. And I'm going to sit here for this 11 minutes, whether or not I'm going to get anything out of it, because that's the one thing, and it's not much, but the one thing that I can give to God right now. So that's what I gave. You know, you, you had an interesting phrase there. What am I going to get out of it? Mm-hmm. And I think that again comes back to, right, one of the things that draws us away from something like centering prayer. I'm not getting anything out of this, Right. It's the same thing that we see here when people are, all of us, struggling with um, having enough, you know. Um, The root of everything that can separate us from what God desires for all of us is that we're doing that mental calculus. What am I getting out of it? And sometimes we're not getting anything out of it in our our original mind's eye, right? I don't do centering prayer. Um, I prefer to do contemplative walking, but that's just because I prefer movement. And I can tell you that there have been a number of times where I've been out taking a walk, and lately on Tussie Mountain I'll be out there taking a walk, and I'm so focused on I'm taking this walk. And invariably there will be some creature 
that pops out from somewhere in sound or in invisibility to remind me why it was I was supposed to be taking that walk in the first place. It was to be grounded with God, mm-hmm. not to be focused on what I'm getting out of taking this walk. Yeah. Um, and the riches that come out of that, even just sitting still, even mm-hmm. if you weren't doing centering prayer, sure. just sitting still, how often do you do that? Yeah. Right? Um, how often do we allow ourselves to simply be in God's presence as being complete and sufficient rather than all the other things that are tempting us in so many ways? It doesn't make us bad people when we can't do it. But being grounded uh, and remembering that there is great gain in godliness and contentment um, and that it's not what we think we bring into the world or what we're expecting the world to give us. Well. That's probably enough on Timothy. I'm looking at our time and saying, wow, we're at 25 minutes, so we better hear the gospel. This is the gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse. Jesus said, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will be they convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Yeah, this is not a comfortable parable. It's probably not going to appear on many people's lists of favorite Bible stories. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, something C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, that when we invite Jesus into our home, he starts remodeling right away. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, there's, a, there's something in the, some of these stories where... Uh, we do a disservice to them if we if we try to explain them away or clean them up mm-hmm. or domesticate them. So I, I think this is one that we're just going to have to rest with and let it work on us, sort of like a, a, a bitter medicine that we take and, and see what it does to us uh, internally. Uh, the bad news for the rich man is that uh, in the parable, once he dies, he's asking all of these different favors for himself and for his brothers that things might be turned around and, and the answer is, sorry, it's it's too late or they're too hard-hearted, it's not going to work. 
And uh, that's not the case for us, I hope. We still have time. So we'll, we'll rest in this parable, a little uncomfortably, but we'll rest in it this weekend and see what God has to say to each of us. Yeah, you know, this past week when we were hearing Amos and the gospel also being pretty challenging, um, you know, one of the things that I, I said was that if we could imagine standing in the spot of somebody else and what grace and abundant mercy would look like in their life, how would we adjust the scales mm-hmm. so that that would be possible? And, and I feel that this is sort of a continuation of that same it is. overall theme. It's, it's calling us to a, a, a time where we reckon with ourselves what God's really asking of us to do. That's right. Wow. How about a closing prayer? Yeah, the closing prayer today comes from the Iona Abbey worship book. Iona is a, uh, an ancient monastic and uh, Celtic religious site. Uh, so join with me in prayer as we consider uh, this ongoing theme of noticing and caring for the other. Oh God, gladly we live and move and have our being in you. Yet always in the midst of creation's glory, we see sin's shadow and feel death's darkness. It is around us in the earth, sea, and sky, in the abuse of matter. It is beside us in the broken, the hungry, and the poor, in the betrayal of one another, and often deep within us in a striving against your spirit. O Trinity of love, forgive us that we may forgive one another. Heal us that we may become people of healing and renew us that we may be makers of peace. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, if you're looking for Bible study, we're offering an evening in-person Bible study on Wednesdays called Reforesting Faith. It's a study of the imagery of trees in Scripture and how God uses that imagery and metaphor to communicate God's vision to us. Each week we meet in the Fireside Room here at Grace at 6.15 following our Super Wednesday meal. You can also join via Zoom. Use the link found on our website, glcpa.org, on the homepage. You can also find it on our Facebook page. The link will be the same each week through October 12th, 2022. If neither of those works for you, but you really wanted to hear what did we talk about that week, you can find the audio recording from that week's Bible study or the previous ones right here on the same platform where you've been getting this podcast. It's available on Thursdays once I have a chance to produce it. And in the meantime, join us also for worship in person at 8, 9, or 10.30 in the morning or 6 p.m. in the evening. You can also listen on the radio at 10.30 in the morning on WRSC or watch our live stream at 10.30 or later. The link for worship is on our website page also, glcpa.org. And friends, however we gather, in person or in spirit, it is a joy to be with you as we continue to follow the lead of Jesus. Jesus.